Welcome to the Blackout Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing people who do amazing things. And today I have Nami, the founder of Dream Talk Creative. Thanks for coming to the podcast today. First off, I mean, you know, it took a while to make this happen, but you've been busy. Oh, well, first there was the pandemic too. Yes, all of those things (laughs) were happening. And then before you know it, like time just flies away from you. Like yesterday was January, now it's April. Time is fake. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) So, you know, what I want to do is kind of start like this, you know, go on this journey with you and just start from like the beginning. Well, not like, okay, maybe not the actual beginning, but let's start from like the journey to Canada. Why did you decide to move to Canada? How was that process for you? For sure. Um, so I moved to Canada in January of 2014. I moved to Halifax as an international student. And at the time, so my background is like, I am um, an Indian woman. I come from an Indian family. However, I grew up in this country called Oman in the Middle East. It's not like, it's, it's a gem of the Middle East, an absolutely wonderful place uh, to grow up. And my family is still there. They live there as expatriates. And I decided to move to Canada because I wanted to experience what the world was in this in in the Western Hemisphere, essentially. Like I was all like I grew up with like Indian people and South Asians around me. And I just wanted like a different perspective. Mm. And at the same time, like Canada is really great with immigration as well. And it just seemed like a really great opportunity to just um, get an education and immigrate and build a life for myself over here. Mm. So that's how I ended up moving um, to Halifax. I started at St. Mary's University. I studied accounting over there, funnily enough, and um, I graduated a few years ago. I graduated um, in 2019. So I experienced like one year of life before the pandemic. And <laughs> I feel like the pandemic, like, also, like, it just changed my perspective, my uh, my ideologies and, like, almost everything, I would say, in, like, a three or four month period. It was a very, um, mm. it was a very emotionally, up- I don't want to say emotionally uplifting, but just an emotional experience, like, mm. you know, being in lockdown and, like, you suddenly are not around all your friends or your family. All you have is just you and your thoughts. And it was it was definitely something. And I would say um, a couple years before the pandemic, I was diagnosed with ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And that diagnosis also changed my life in many ways. So growing up with undiagnosed ADHD was a very tough experience because my, um, I always felt like I was falling behind my peers, even though I felt like I was working so hard. And sometimes it would feel like I was working twice as hard and not seeing the same results that would happen to my neurotypical friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have the language for it at the time. And however, like um, in 2018, I got my diagnosis and I was able to kind of change my life around, um, uh, I, I was able to like change my life to um, kind of live with that, to cope with that. And I have since like 
been able to grow so much since getting that diagnosis. So I feel like the diagnosis and the pandemic, even though they were a couple of years apart, those were very like very big watershed moments in my life mm. that have happened. And since then, like um, I have uh, always I realized that I always wanted to start my own business. I just didn't know what that business was going to be. Mm. And um, I had started and. I had started like talking about my experiences with ADHD on TikTok mm -hmm. and my TikTok took off um, a little during the pandemic and I saw that there was this big community of people who were like, oh my God, I, I think I have ADHD listening to your stories. Like, I feel like I have it too. And like, I was able to create these conversations and this dialogue mm. around, you know, living with um, an invisible disability. Mm. And um, I took that experience and I was like, why don't I try to start like a business around social media? Like I understand engagement. I understand like what it is that people look for when they come on social media. Mm. And how can I, you know, kind of help like small to medium sized businesses by leveraging this knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that is how Dream Talk Creative um, came to life last fall. And it is still very much, I would say, um, in the baby phase. Um, I've worked with a few clients already. Um, but however, this is still very much like my side job. Mm. I do have a day job, but hopefully someday in the future, it might become a full-time thing. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So many things. <laughs> so many things. Me. I'm, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'm going to start with the whole Oman. Um, what countries? Uh, what countries is Oman uh, yeah. close to? So. Oman is situated on the Arabian Sea. The Arabian Sea separates India and Oman. Oman is situated above Yemen and ah. to the right of Saudi Arabia and just under UAE. Oh, okay. Yes. So, like, you, it's just a you know like traveling a few hours and then you'd be yeah. in dubai or whatever yeah so i would say like uh muscat so the capital of oman where i grew up muscat to dubai is kind of like what halifax to cape breton is maybe a little longer but like that's oh, the general and you just drive would you, would you usually drive or fly um if we went to dubai we would usually drive yes oh wow yeah okay i'm not a fan <laughs> of long driving like I'm I'm the one person that tries to fly to Cape Breton. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't like, even know there were flights to Cape Breton. Yes, <laughs> but you kind of have to replan it, okay, right? Because it's okay. like one flight a week or some shit like this. Oh, I okay, know. I didn't so know that. WestJet has one. Air Canada has one, I think. Yeah. So you kind of have to like, okay, I'm going for this meeting on this thing, and then I just, but I mean. If it doesn't work, then you just drive. The drive isn't bad. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just, ugh, I'd rather just get in a plane and I'm just there. get it over with. Yeah. You know. Anyway, so what was it like for you growing up in Oman? It was a very interesting um it's not it. I want to say it was a very unique experience. So I was essentially what is called a third culture kid. And yeah, what is that? a third culture kid is uh, basically a child who is growing up in a place that his that their parents have not been born or brought up in so there's this concept like a, a third culture kid um culture is very big in oman because how it worked is oman um 
During the early 2000s, Oman was very big on expatriates. So like people from different countries would come into work there mm. for a period of time, but with the understanding that they will go back to their home countries eventually. So mm. you're not immigrating there, you're working there as expatriates. And they were expatriates from many countries in Oman. So like India was a very big one because of the proximity. Um, so it was Bangladesh, um, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, um, Egyptians, a lot of European, a lot of European citizens lived there. There was mm -hmm. a lot of American citizens as well. And how our schooling system was, um, and this might be interesting to you, is that the school that I went to was funded by the Indian embassy in the country. And um, so I went to the Indian school of Muscat. Yeah. And however, there was also like a Filipino school of Muscat. British the... school of Muscat. Right, right, and like right. all of these different schools that are kind of funded by the embassies. <laughs> so it's a very unique experience where you are growing up with um, people who are from the same background as you, but in a different country. Mm. So like I grew up in like a very Indian environment, but in but in Oman, in mm. a different country, where like, where nothing about the country is Indian at all. Right, so, right. Yeah, so it was very much like, um, but growing up, it was like, I would say it was a very beautiful place. Like it's mountains and oceans and like wow. very much a gem of the Middle East. Like there is a part of me that's like, I wish people knew about Oman more, but I'm also like, I also don't want it to become a touristy. <laughs> I don't want to become Thailand. Like I just wanted to like, yeah. I want to gatekeep. Right, 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 <laughs> I want to right, gatekeep. Right, right. It's so beautiful. Yeah. People should see it, but you know, like a week, not moving there or living there. Ugh. Taking Instagram pictures. What is your job, though? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you decided to move to Canada. Yeah. As in, I mean, you know, the Western Hemisphere is how you put it. There are different countries to choose from. Why Canada, though? Um, Canada, because at the time, it was the most progressive when it came to immigration. My thing was, like, if I am going to move, if my parents who funded my education, like, if they're going to, like... Um, put all this money towards my education, I at least want to be it and wanted to be in a place where I can have the option to stay. Mm. So like the States and the UK, their immigration policies were very stringent at the time. And I was like, no, in that case, <laughs> like Canada makes sense. And also because I grew up in such a hot desert country, I, I had never really oh, seen snow. I was like, right, oh my God, right, I'm right, going right. to go where, where it's like, it's going to be so cool. I'm going to like, you know, um, my breath is going to fog. That's going to be so fun. <laughs> and like, be careful what you wear short. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say, short. So how was the very first uh, winter? <laughs> oh God. Like, I, f I would say the first week was absolutely glorious because there was snow everywhere and I was so excited. I was like, this is so pretty. Like, oh my God, this is so nice. Like everything, look at all these, like, like you know, um, you know how like ice like freezes over branch trees and it just looks so it magical. Like it sparkles. It was so beautiful. I was like, oh, I came to the right place. And I was like, I was so stupid at parties. Like as I would go out in the balcony and be like, ha, look, my breath is falling. This is so <laughs> Cool. Yeah. And however, like after that first week, oh. like I kind of fell into a really, I kind of spiraled a little because I think I, I now know that 
I probably went through a very intense phase of like seasonal depression, right. but I didn't have the language for it. Right, right, right. And I was just like, cause like not eventually, like when you grow up with like sunlight your whole life and it's suddenly taken away from you, you're like, my brain is not working right now. Mm. Yeah. So it was a bit of an adjustment um, that first semester to be like, oh my God, like, why am I feeling this way? I'm feeling so unmotivated, unproductive. <clears throat> but eventually, like, I was able to come out of that. Mm. I joined this um, student society on campus um, that was, um, that would try to alleviate uh, poverty in the community through running social enterprises. And what was it called? Enactus. Right. Yeah. So I joined the Enactus team at my school and that was a very big part of my university life, you know, because I made lifelong friends. We ran some really cool projects and um, it's like my my perspective on my perspective on this group has changed after coming out of university. Changed? Um, changed in the sense of like, you know, I grew up with a very like, I would say, um, like a very capitalistic mindset, you know, I grew up with like a lot of like, oh my God, like, you know, you like gotta pay the rent gotta, gotta pay the rent this. and like you know it's like oh you gotta pull yourself up by the bootstraps and like mm. you know make it work for you completely ignoring all the privilege that I had and after however like I left school my brain fully developed I read books I listened to podcasts I listened to like leaders in my community and I'm like no I am like capitalism ain't it like this this is not it like you know um at the end of the day like it's good to um you know where poverty is concerned like we need to be addressing why are why is this happening why are people being homeless why are you know like unless you act at the root cause you're not really going Most to like time. find a solution that works long term mm. you know so like that is what my perspective is like i try to not view things from a capitalistic lens anymore in my life, which includes like my career and the relationships that I have with people around me and everything, everything as such. For example, like I used to be very much a person who was like, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. I'm going to like, you know, do this and that and like very girl boss energy kind of vibes. And however, like right now, my perspective is like, the most important thing right now is for me to have peace and to be happy and to have and to make enough money so that I live a good life and I can take care of people around me. Mm. You know, that's my thing. And as long as I can meet that goals, those goals, I'll be fine. Mm. You know, but like four years ago, it was that was not me. I got to be the manager of the thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Where do you think that came from, though? The pandemic. No, no, not oh. the change. That initial. This is what I have to do. Uh, the uh, girl boss uh, energy. Girl, media growing up, and I would see like I grew up on like Hollywood movies of like these really, you know, badass women like going Double to West work. Prada. All those vibes, like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, how bad can hustling be? <laughs> like, and how bad is it? Like, you know, like, I just grew up with a very, like, viewing life from, like, very rose-colored lenses of, mm -hmm. like, how hard is this going to be? And, um, but while I was, like, a, while I was consuming those kinds of media, I never really considered the fact that, like, one, like, none of these people lived with undiagnosed ADHD. 
Um, most of the people who are these so-called role models are usually male and white, and they're not like they're not like me. They don't have the same background as me. Like even if I try as much as even if I tr work as hard as them, I'm probably never going to have that level of success because there's because I just don't have that privilege. Yeah, you know, and like these and these thoughts only started like you know coming to shape like during the pandemic mm. what about the pandemic brought those thoughts though i would say um it was when uh, forgetting because i just uh, the the murder of george floyd george floyd i'm so sorry i forgot his name i was just thinking of someone else like i feel like the george floyd murder really just kind of Sh like shook my like just kind of shook my perspective inside out mm. um because like you know i watched that video and um i watched that video and it was just like it it, it was like 15 seconds of that video just kind of like overturning everything that i knew about like privilege and racism and intersectionality um that all just came to the surface um at once and I realized that, like, you know, the, the only, like, I, you could stop me if this comes off as, like, insensitive, but I realized that, like, the only reason I'm not in that person's shoes is because I was born lucky, you know? Mm. It's like, I was born with this privilege, and I was born with so, like, there is, like, nothing, um, like, it's six degrees of separation of like, like I, I've just, I had just been so blind to like the intersectionality of things my whole life growing up. Mm. And that really just like, you know, kind of slapped me into the right perspective. You know, I hear that, right? And I think in a way, you know, you, you can't really blame I guess upbringing or whatever because as a parent I don't know if you'll ever have kids but as a, I don't have kids but I just think parents just want to shell shelter you know yeah. they want to shield you from the world is really bad so I'm just going to try and carve this place of safety for you so growing up and seeing that that's like that's your normal yeah you know and then over time and observing the things you did is like, oh, wait, wait, something is not right here. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's exactly what it was. And like, once again, like, you know, when I was, you know, telling you about the environment that I grew up in, very sheltered, very much like I, I had, I lived on a, on a schedule that was set by my parents, like no autonomy to kind of think of, to think outside of the box, mm. essentially. And moving here and the pandemic and like um, the social justice movement that happened during the summer of 2020 mm. following uh, George Floyd's murder, like all of those things literally kind of overturned my perspective of these things I would say like overnight mm. like it was just I started like really looking at the role model like the people I considered role models and I was like this it does not make sense for me to have role models like these anymore mm. like it um I need to be listening to stories of um I need to be listening to stories from the perspective of BIPOC individuals mm. like I need to be hearing stories of people uh, from I need to be listening to stories from 
leaders in my community. I need to be listening to stories from in, the indigenous people in Nova Scotia of like, you know, the struggles that they're going through. Mm. And um, that was also like the first time that I actually read up on Africville and stuff. Whereas like before that, like none of these things were like, they're never discussed mm. and like they're never discussed they were never like put out in the open like they're not really they were not really taught in school unless like it's a subject that you had to choose or something mm. and I was just like yeah I I like all of these things I'm just like nope I, I can't be girl boss <laughs> capitalistic energy like no I, I can't do that anymore so yeah. what are some of the changes you actually enacted in your life um changes for based on oh this is what life really is are there things you change personally i would say like i try to look for um communities where i could give back to people mm. and that is where i found the global shapers group um the global shapers um is an organization that um, is an organization that was uh, started by the UN and they basically have hubs across the world and kids get together, kids, I mean like youth get together in these hubs to come up with project ideas to give back to their community. Mm. And I've been involved with the Global Shapers uh, community since the fall of 2020. And um, all that we do is like, we try to like engage youth and engage youth and, engage youth and like create dialogue about what's happening in the community and how we can give back. Mm -hmm. And since then, like that's been a really, it's been a really, it's been really good to like be in a part of a community that cares about these things. Mm -hmm. And also, and this may sound small, but I really took a look at like the people I was following on social media and none, and before the pandemic, there weren't a lot of thought leaders on it. And since then, I was like, I've I've started following like community leaders that are in Nova Scotia, um, a lot of black leaders, a lot of indigenous leaders at the time. And I've been like listening to like what they say. I've been trying to keep up with their podcasts and <clears throat> I've been trying to like read up on books mm. on what they are doing and what is the messaging that they're putting out. And like, those are the things that I try to do. And at the end of the day, like, once again, I keep asking myself of like, how can I give back? What can I do? What mm. am I not doing enough? Like, <laughs> you know, there are some situations where like, as a non-black person of color, um, you recognize that there is privilege in that too. And sometimes like, the best thing you can do is like donate to causes, mm. you know, donate to causes. If you have money to spare, like give the money to communities and to um, organizations, grassroots organizations mm. that actually are doing the work. So um, I would say like those are some of the changes, the bigger changes that I've enacted in my life. Mm. And also like tried to like have more in-depth conversations with um more in-depth con more in-depth conversations about what it means to be black with my black friends and try to like just try to like understand their perspectives and uh, just to understand their perspectives and where they're coming from mm. so all of these things i would say are just a few uh, just a few examples i am by no ways perfect but it's like it's like the acceptance that I will never be perfect, but I'm always going to be open to growing and learning and changing myself. Doing like, the work. Doing the work. Yeah. 
you know, doing the work. And I know there's this narrative about, oh my God, it's so exhausting. I'm like, what is exhausting about it? Like, uh, I, like I personally don't understand that. Like it's, for me, it's like when I'm presented with, when I'm presented with stories of people, of things that people have gone through, when I'm presented with facts and figures and studies, I'm like, why is it so, why are you debating that? Mm. Like, why would you even want to debate that? You I, know, think, I think some of these people that do that, it might be that it makes them uncomfortable and that's their defense. Like, Probably. you know, also it can be a lot of work too, though. Mm-hmm. It can. I, I, I guess so. I, I like, that's just like me putting my, yeah, I, I guess that is right. Okay, let's know. lighten the thing. <laughs> so I remember coming to shoot something at your apartment. I'm like, there's a piano in there. Turns out you can play and stuff. <laughs> yes. What was the story be behind? For the piano? Yeah. Um, so I, um, I think I was like five years old or something when I saw someone play the piano at a hotel. And I was like... I want to do that. <laughs> and my parents put me in classes and I started playing the piano when I was six, Jesus. six years old. Wow. Yeah. Very, very young. Like I, I couldn't, like my legs were not long enough to like reach the pedals of the piano. What, okay. <laughs> what do those things do? Cause there are like three of them. Or there are whatever. three of them. Um, and the one on the far right, it sustains the sound. So like so when like, you, mm, so it's like, it goes like that and the one on the left um on the far left kind of mutes the sound a little makes it what would you mute it though you 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 need it at times oh, okay. you need it at times and here's the kicker nobody really knows what the metal one does and we just never <laughs> so, so the middle one is just, it's just there. i don't know what it does <laughs> i will only okay. play the piano for like 20 years. I don't know what it does. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, so six. Holy shit. And what, what would, I guess, what do you do? Because to me, it looks like maths. You know? <laughs> no, it does. Yeah. It's... Like the thing, you know, you have to count and there's quarters yeah. and there's like, and you have to read that thing. What do, yes. what do they call it? Like um, the... It's called, it's called just reading music notes. Um... <laughs> It's, it's its own language. And you can, like, know what yeah. key is. Yes. It takes... You start learning, like, you know, when you started at six to learn the thing, do you also start learning the notes then, or? Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, that's how you start <laughs> learning the notes. And, like, how it worked, I feel like, um, as a kid, like, when you're learning the piano, um, you would only get, like, when I started at music, like when I started music classes, like all I wanted was to just like sit at the piano and like go for it. Mm. But how it worked is like my music teachers were like, no, you first need to like get the beats with your hands right. And once you can like play out the rhythm and the beats with your head, only then you can go to the piano. That was so frustrating. <laughs> so like you'd have to learn how those beats, all those quarters, all those half notes and everything. Once you can get those right, only then you can go to the piano. So once you could start going on a piano, was there a particular song you really enjoyed playing? Um, you mean when I was a kid mm -hmm. or when you were a kid? All I wanted, like this is going to be so corny or cheesy, but like, um, are you familiar with Beethoven's For Elise? Yeah, yeah. Da -na -na. Yes. Da -na 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 -na. 
I just wanted to play that song. That was like one of the biggest reasons uh, why I wanted to play the piano. It's like I just want to be able to play that song. Um, and so how well can you play it now? I can play it pretty well now. Like I can do it a pretty good job. But like I, I was able to finally like I think I was able to like proficiently play it and. By the time I was like nine or ten years old, and I got like God damn, yeah, yeah. But it was also like a lot of practice and. Do you ever get stuff. to a point where like I can do this now, or you just always have to practice? You have to, you have to practice. Like, it's like. I don't practice as much anymore because there are like a lot of songs like come naturally to me. But I would say like when I was at my peak performance, I would say when I was like 17, um, that was when I had given like my final music exams um, and I was practicing like six, seven hours a day during Wait, that time. Like street or? Sorry? Six hours. Six, seven hours. Six, seven hours. Like maybe with thirty-minute breaks, like once or twice. But like those exams were intense. Okay. <laughs> what would you do? You just sit down, play the music yeah. and stuff, and then what would the exam be? What would the what would they score you on? Um, they would score you on how accurately you can uh, play, how accurately you can play the piece, along with like the emotion wait, behind wait, emotion? it. Yes. Do you have to do like this? Yes. <laughs> there were, no, no, that's exactly what it was. So like how it happened in like a typical like piano, uh, piano exam was that like the, you would literally get marked on like how well you... <laughs> position yourself <laughs> like you're you know like you have to like sit with like your thing you have to sit with your feet straight like if your position was like too bent or like too like you know not perfect they could fail you on the spot wait fail fail you yeah <laughs> they will mark you down yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Whoa. Like if you're if you're not if your like position is not correct over like over the keys and stuff like you're You'll be failed. Do, like it's, does how you move your fingers also count? Yes, too? very much so. <laughs> very much so. And like there's this thing in like in piano is that like you're always supposed to keep your fingers bent. Why? Like because that is th that is how you play. Yeah. You always play it like with bent fingers. Like if you go st straight, you can lose marks. For like, <laughs> straight. So, like Yeah. There was a lot of like now I'm like, oh my god. Well, do you remember like, what your what the piece was for your exam? Yes. So like for my final exam, um for like we had eight grades in my uh, in my music school and for the music program that I went through. And in the eighth grade, we had one Mozart, one Debussy, and one um, Scarlatti. And these were all like these giant, like really big pieces. I remember like the Mozart piece um, was like 16 pages long. And Oh, how do you flip this? How do you flip the thing? That's also practice. Like you got to like... <laughs> like, do that <laughs> it was yeah it was intense it was intense yeah. oh my god that's crazy yes 
Holy shit. You know what? I thought you played piano to relax. That wasn't so relaxing it was, at all. No, no. It was not relaxing. It was not relaxing. That is why, like, you know, when we were chatting before, um, before I was like, yeah, like, there was a time in my life when I wanted to be a concert pianist. But, like, all those practicing and the exams, it just, like, killed my love for wanting to pursue a career so, in it. So, let's say, let's just say you went down that route, right? You you finish your thing. What, was, what would be the next thing to do do you like join on a like what was the next the next step would have been to go to a proper like music school like so um berkeley school of music or like the uh in england there's like the london school of music like those would have been like the natural next steps um but by that time i was like uh, also very much like okay no i need to go to university (laughs) and get a degree which is like whatever but so accounting what's the story there The story there is, like I was saying, I moved here as an international student and I live in a perpetual state of anxiety. So my thing was like, what is, what can I study that will like guarantee me, guarantee a job Mm -hmm. like towards the, at the end of my degree? Because I was also worried about like immigration and stuff. I wanted to remain employed and, you know, remain in the country. Um, So that's why I picked accounting. I was just like, it's going to like get me through school. It's going to get me a job. So the anxiety, what what is behind that anxiety? I guess I would say like living with undiagnosed ADHD um, for like, you know, throughout my childhood and teenage years. It's like I was in a perpetual state of panic that I'm falling behind, that I'm not doing things good enough, that I'm like lived with a lot of low self-esteem and trying to make up for it essentially and like all of those things like just led to a perpetual state of anxiety Mm. i was just like i was constantly worried that i was gonna fail or fall behind and just try to compensate for that what were the i guess what were some of the symptoms of like the adhd that made you decide to go get that tested yeah so um for like first of all like a background on adhd is that so there are many differences between the ADHD brain and what is called a neurotypical brain. So brain that does not have like ADHD or any other um, or any other disorders on the spectrum. And there is this thing in a very, very dumbed down way to explain. There is this thing called neurotransmitters and neurotransmitters um, are neurotransmitters are there in your brain to pass messages from like one part of your brain to another and those are like and those are the messages that tell you like hey I'm going to put sugar in my cup of coffee before pouring down the coffee or like messages like that like you know very basic like day-to-day messages like oh my god I'm going to leave my house so I'm gonna wear my jacket and take my keys and take my phone and wallet and then leave and however, in ADHD brains, those neurotransmitters are abnormally low. And that's why that messaging is very confused in our brain. Like one of the reasons why I, why I looked for an ADHD diagnosis was because I was having a very hard time just being able to leave my house. Like I would just be scrambling over like my keys, my phone, my wallet, my jacket. And like, and I would like literally like, I would be 30 minutes late everywhere. I would, there was this one time I almost like, 
Um, I was almost like 20 minutes late for an exam and stuff. And it was just getting too much to cope with. Mm. And that is why I sought out that diagnosis. And after getting the diagnosis, I got on medication and I've been trying to like cope with it holistically as well mm. by setting rituals and like um, just going to therapy and counseling and just helping me um, live with it, essentially. Mm. So um, is, was that your question about? I forget what your question No, yeah, like I guess yeah. the things, but you kind of mentioned yes. it like I need to do this, I need to do yeah. that. Yeah, so like in a very dumbed down way, mm. like that is what... Um, so yeah. I guess what was the final push that is like I need to go get tested. You you have to get tested, right? Um, you don't you don't have to get tested, but I highly recommend it okay. because like one, um, you will finally have access to different supports and resources. Um, although with Nova Scotia's healthcare right now, I don't know how accessible it is. Like um, last I heard, I know that the uh, when I was talking to someone, they said that they've been waiting for an ADHD diagnosis for 18 months mm. at the end of 2022. And like, we're aware of like what Nova Scotia is like right now. Um, but what pushed me to get that, I think my final push was like, I was in a class where I was able to understand everything that was being taught to me, but I was not able to pass my like midterms. I was not able to like get through my exams because like when I was sitting in an exam room, it was just like my brain was just not processing the information that was presented to me. Mm. Like I was like, I am gonna, I was just like, I don't think I'm gonna like be able to finish school at this point if I don't seek some help. Mm. And that's when I went to a therapist for the first time because I actually thought maybe I'm just like depressed and anxious. And those are symptoms of living with undiagnosed ADHD too. Yeah. I was like, maybe I'm just that. And that's why I'll go to her. And then I started talking to her about these things. And she was like, I think you may have ADHD. You're gonna send you to a doctor who's gonna like uh, send a referral to um, a psychiatrist. Mm. I went through those uh, channels, went to a psychiatrist and like a couple of weeks after that, he was able to diagnose me with ADHD and literally took some medication. He gave me some coping strategies. And for, like I was going, I went from like almost failing on a midterm to getting like a 98% oh. in like a matter, in like less than a month. And there was a lot of relief from that diagnosis. I feel like it just, it changed my, like I've been saying it changed my life a lot in this podcast. Like it's <laughs> really, it's changed my life so much, but it also made me grieve. Like I grieved the childhood that I would have had right. if, I, if this was discovered earlier. You know? How do you? How did you handle that though? <sighs> a lot of crying. Like right. yeah, like like put simply, like a lot of crying. Like sometimes I would look back at like childhood photos and like I would remember like how I was feeling in those photos mm. you know but it's like being stimulated in crowded environments and like just trying to like put a straight face through grieving those experiences grieving moments where I could have been celebrated or I could have just been like happy like that was also a very um eye-opening moment for me a very emotional experience mm. at the time mm. yeah and i still like you know i still i'm working on healing my inner child like i feel like this is going to be a lifelong journey right but I mean, 
Yeah, but I have the supports around me. Um, my partner also has ADHD, and we uh, kind of bounce ideas off of each other, and mm. it's, it's been talking fun. about your partner. Mm-hmm. You are brown. He's white. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm making this film with these amazing sisters, and it's exploring that. And I think I don't want to say, but I think you might have some of your story in there because she writes really personal stories. And I was wondering, what is your congratulation on two years? First off, <laughs> thank you. Uh, but like, how do you navigate that? Because I mean, I, I'm, I, I don't have that experience. I'm just curious. So navigating um, an interracial relationship, Mm. um, I would say like when we got together um, for the first time, like first of all, like he is absolutely incredible. Like he is one of the most incredible people I've ever met. And he already came into the relationship being very knowledgeable about like being very knowledgeable about the nuances, Mm. like and it's always been like a growing conversation though like with different stages in my life like we keep talking about like what this what this is going to look like with me being brown and with him being white but it ultimately comes down to how open they are to learning and if they're someone who's open to learning i don't think navigating that is going to be a challenging experience but if it's with someone who is like nope my way or no way you're <laughs> you're not going to, like, be in a happy relationship at all. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, isn't communication one of the keys to making a relationship yeah. work? Yeah, and, like, my partner and I, we actually took a workshop on communication. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. We, we literally took a communicate. We are like, you know, we're not perfect. Like, I, I followed this therapist on Instagram, and I saw that she was doing a communications workshop, and we both took it and mm. took notes and discussed and, like, had that open dialogue and I think that's very important and you know like any relationship interracial or not mm, mm, mm. okay so let's talk about dream talk yes sure well I mean you know you're doing this accounting thing but then you're like this is what I feel passionate about mm-hmm. why that name first of all what's the story then <laughs> how how do you run your business oh my god so like I spent like way too long trying to think about a business name <laughs> And um, I just came out, like, it was just rolling off the tongue. I was just like, sorry, kind of. Um, I was like, you know, when I meet, like, my idea was, like, if I meet a business owner, I'm going to be like, talk to me about your dreams. And right. it just kind of spun into, like, Dream Talk Creative. And as of now, like, I am offering um, services in um, social media marketing, uh, social media marketing and content creation. So um, these are my two main services at this time. I will probably offer consulting services in the near future. I'm still working on the details around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been great so far, a really good learning experience, um, something that I'm very passionate about. I love that I get to be creative and analytical at the same time, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, kind of getting the best of both worlds for me. Mm. And um, yeah, if you know anyone who's looking for social media services, like, hit me up. Okay, so <laughs> say, so I'm like, oh, you know, I, I have an okay reach my podcast, but I want to like really dig in and blow up my social media and I talk to you. How do we, what happens from that point on? 
Okay, so like, are you looking to like um, get more reach on I, your? I or? guess, I guess. Yeah, I, don't know. I feel like so. This is like step one: is first of all understanding like what exactly it is that you want from social media, right? Mm. Like, you're on a platform. Like, are you? Do you have social media for the sake of it, or are you looking to get more listeners? Are you looking to like get more guests, or are you looking to like get more sponsorships, or like what is it that your goals are? And once you have your goals down, mm. that is where you can like kind of tie it back to what social media can do for you. Mm. So, so we define our goals and then yes, you get to work. Exactly. And it's it may sound like even though it sounds like the most obvious thing, it actually does not feel as obvious, you know, because you're like, what exactly it is do I need? Like I'm on Instagram and TikTok because I need to be right. Should I be doing anything more? <laughs> what exactly am I looking for over here? And like, yeah. once you start answering those questions, that is when you can come up with a social media plan mm. and um, eventually convert those and then convert those plans to like, what do you need? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We okay. can chat later. Yes. 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 <laughs> but um, I mean, it's wonderful talking to you. But I can't let you go without asking about TikTok, right? Sure. How did that blow blow up happen? How did you get so many followers? I think it's. I'm at like ten thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little, yeah, a little over ten thousand followers. I hit that mark this year, and honestly, I feel like TikTok is one of those platforms where um your like the algorithm is so phenomenal that it understands what it is that you're looking for and if you can make that work for you like you're golden so for me like i just started talking about adhd and i started talking about living with adhd what it's like what it's like in your career how to get access to resources in canada and like you know how to talk about it with your family your partner your friends and just through that like i think the most rewarding part of tiktok has been like creating that community mm. and it's still expanding <clears throat> and um sometimes the messages that you put out on tiktok really it it really stays so it's April 2023 right now, but one of my videos from February of 2022 is going viral. Oh. And like there are a lot of people who are seeing this and they're and they keep coming back to my platform. Right, 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 yeah. right. But so that is how like that initial like blow up kind of happened. Mm. Um, that being said, like I'm very much someone who is like I am not one to like chase numbers or likes or anything like that. Like mm. my perspective has always been like, I keep thinking about like another brown girl with undiagnosed ADHD and oh. what am I going to like tell her? Mm. How can I help her? You know? Okay, and, well, yeah. that is, you know, saying that that is a really nice place to end. What will you tell that person? Yeah, I would tell that person that... Um, I understand that validation is important, but at the end of the day, like only you can validate yourself the most, you mm. know, find love in places um, that are willing to give it to you. And um, also like get on a list for like, get on the wait list for the ADHD diagnosis. Like it will actually change your life. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Nami, thank you so much for coming to I Like. Actually, no. So how did you learn that for yourself, though, right? Uh, the, yeah. Um, uh, trial and error. 
Right. Trial right. and error. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right now. Really, thank you so much for coming <laughs> to course. the podcast today. Of course. Thank you so much, Israel. This has been fantastic. Thank you for this opportunity. And I hope you have a lovely weekend. You too.